All right, Shabbat, good morning. We are starting um, I, what I would like to be the final episode in the third chapter. And just to make a quick recap, but prior to which I would like to dedicate this class to Simone's sister. Pedal, Fagel, Bas, Sotalea, may she have it for Shalema. Amen. So, the third chapter is a relatively long chapter, which is fine. Long is good. More Taita, the better. And the Rabbeinu Bachaya is telling us that when we go through the following five introductions, he calls them introductions, Hagdamas, then we will be able to get to the goal, which is to have that feeling of calm, which is bitachim. Not only believing in, but actually feeling. And as we all know, believing and even understanding versus feeling is a whole different world. Bitachin he defines as a feeling. Bitachin is a feeling, it's not what you believe in. And for a person to really, be'emes, feel calm because it's God's world, that we all believe it's God's world, but to feel calm because of it, that is bitachin. And here is a quick recap of the five introductions. Introduction number one, beautifully, was going through the seven the seven qualities. What are the seven qualities? So whoever is using a kahas shar bitachin, and the yashakoyach to them, a phenomenal job. Just to can quickly go through the recap, it's on page 54, and he actually organizes it in the order that we are to go through when we are thinking about God, is that God is compassionate and loving, that God loves me and God wants my good, which makes it easier for me to give myself over to him, that God is attentive. People can be compassionate and loving, but they're not attentive. They're compassionate and loving when they're on, but then they, they're tired. God never gets tired. Number three, that God is almighty. Right? Some people are attentive, but they are unable to help. Some people cannot help you. They would like to help you. They would love to help you. They can't. God is mamash almighty. Number four, that God is all-knowing. God is all-knowing is also important because I can want to help you and I can have good intentions, and I can do something from my perspective for your good, and you know what? It was the worst thing that happened to you. We don't know what's gonna be later. We really don't know. And we're gonna leave that thought open because we're gonna come back to it when people very erroneously frame the question that we're gonna learn today, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a fake question. That's a blasphemous question. Why do painful things happen to good people? That's the question. Why do, why do good people suffer? That's a question. Bad, there's no bad as we'll get to. Because God does everything for the good. How do you know what's good? How do you know what's bad? I'll tell you, anything that happens, happens from God. I believe there's only one God, not two gods. So if it happened, it happened from God. Then God does everything for the good. Everything is good. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean I don't experience that as suffering or horrible, overwhelming suffering. That yet. But we're going to come back to that. But God, knowing that God knows the future, so I can really rely on God because God knows what's good and what's not good for me in this circumstance. Number six, I'm sorry, number five, is that we were always in the hands of God, just to remember that. God has been with us from when we were formed. It's a great thought. From before. And from before, that's it. That's the way we have to think. And not only until forever. The only real constant in my life is God. And that makes it easier for me to put my trust in Him. Number 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 six is that there is no other power that really is present for me on the level of God. So it's not only that He has always been here time-wise, but the quality of care 
is unparalleled. And finally, number seven, which is extremely important, which is extremely important, is to think, spend time thinking that God is kind and compassionate even to the unworthy. And that's Mama Shaki because we all suffer. We all suffer from a feeling of, I'm not good enough. And that's probably the biggest Yetzirah. It's good to be humble, 100%. But the, up, the humble doesn't mean to feel like I'm unworthy. Unworthy is a horrible feeling. Most of people's failings in life, their part is because I didn't feel that I could. I didn't feel that I deserve. I didn't feel I felt undeserving. And we might be undeserving, but the beauty is, is that God loves us independent of what we do. And we spent a lot of time speaking about that. I in the Shema, we say that if you're not going to listen to Micah, we have to deal with that. But that's, when it comes to be talking, we have to live in the emes that God loves even the unworthy. And if you're a parent and you have children, then you can identify with that because we love our kids even if they're unworthy. You don't know that, I don't, because our kids are worthy. But imagine, think just theoretically, if you, you know a parent that has kids that are unworthy, Somewhere deep down, they mamish love. It's hard to express it. Some people have a hard time accessing it. Some people, mebach, they grew up in a home that was not uh, wired properly, so it's hard for them to get there. But that's a truth, that we love our kids regardless. You know why? Because God loves us regardless. Okay, those were the seven. That's Hagdama number one. And it's important every now and then to go over it. What do I do? I don't hear, I don't feel bitachin. Okay, so... Even that in itself, if a person would think about how God has these seven qualities, it's going to be easier for people to uh, put one's trust in the hands of God. That was the first introduction of chapter 3. The second introduction of chapter 3, and also for people who want to use a summary, it's a lot of info. And I don't remember all of it. I'm looking inside the book. I'm just, uh, for a disclaimer, on page 107, we're not there yet. I'm just going to the end. He puts a summary. Intro number two is... That there is an inner person and there is an outer person. I know that people that are familiar with modern psychology, I heard this and they're familiar with it and it's emis. So what the people call, you have the conscious and you have your unconscious. There is a lot of layers within a person. I'm not only talking about the two impulses, the godly and the animal. Aside of that, there are many layers. And bitachin is not a outer function. I can think until I'm blue, I have bitachin. I can think those words, I can say those words. Doesn't mean I have betachen. Betachen is, is deeper than what I think. It's already my feelings, right? We spoke about that a lot. You can't fake your feelings, you can fake your thoughts, you can fake your words, you can fake your actions, you cannot fake who you are. Betachen is either I have it or I don't, and I should know that. And that was introduction number two, that God knows whether I have betachen or not. Or... You really know whether you have bitachin or not, and don't live on the, superfer- on, the, on the superficial part of life in which, okay, you know, I have bitachin. I'm happy. I was told, of course, I'm happy. I'm happy! Or the people, right? I'm not angry! And they're shouting at you, and okay, you can say the words, but yeah, the emiss is the emiss. Number three, the intro number three is, and that's even harder, is that, uh, where's Mrs. Solomon? She's going to come on sooner. That a person can... Bitachin is exclusive. And I know that exclusive is extreme and normally we're not extreme people, but Bitachin, you cannot trust two. If I trust you and you, then I trust each one of you a little bit less. We're not hedging our bets over here. No such a thing. There's only one God and ultimately, not ultimately, this is before ultimately, God is running the world. 
You know, we spent a whole night Shavuot speaking about freedom of choice. God gave us the freedom to choose, just to choose. That's where I have freedom. A person who can make a choice to do something bad, that's where the power is to choose to do something bad. They themselves might not, might not even be able to do it. Right? A person can make a choice to be a bank robber, but they're not going to do it because they don't know how to. They made the bad choice. A person can actually pull the trigger and not harm someone else. A person can, God forbid, jump out of a window and not die. It's the freedom, just to know the freedom that we have is only on our choices. Because the only balabayit of what is, is God. And that's a big part of Bittachim. And most people say these words, but they don't really, they don't buy into it. And that's why many people don't have real Bittachim. <coughs> Everything, you are, I am where I am because God wanted me to be here. In spite of the fact that many things came through my choice. There's nothing to do. You're married to the only person who you were meant to marry. There was no other option. You had the will, you had the freedom to choose. But just because you made the choice, the fact that it happened, something happening is only God's doing. Yes? Well, I'm sorry, maybe I missed some of your classes. Okay. What's the difference between Emunah and Bitochen? Emunah is a belief system and Bitochen is a feeling. That's Rabbeinu Baha'i's answer. Emunah you have in your mind. Emunah is something that you can even have in your heart, but it doesn't <coughs> affect your behavior. The greatest, the best example that Hasidus gives for Emunah is a passage in Talmud Yerushalmi where you have a thief who's about to break into someone's house and they say, God, help me not get caught. And think about the paradox. This is a person who doesn't only believe in God, but they believe that God is listening to their prayers because I can believe in God and not that but God is beyond me. No, then I wouldn't pray to God. So if I believe in God and I'm talking to God, I also know that God told me not to steal. And somehow it doesn't uh, stop my, my theft. I have 100% the moon and God, which is why I'm asking God to give me success, but my belief will not modify my behavior. You know what changes my behavior? Feelings, motivation. Motivation. Betochen is a feeling. The feeling of completely at ease or in the, in not anxious. Anxiety comes from not having betochen. Because when I fully give myself over, not only in my belief system, but in my heart that I am in God's hands and everything that God will do is for my good, everything that happened for me is for my good, I'm not going to have anxiety at all. How do I have bitachin? How do I know if I have bitachin? Not if I wake up and I think the words. If I feel calm. That's the beginning of chapter number one. Chapter number one is, right? Rabbi says that bitachin um, is nefesh. And we spoke about that in Mrs. ourselves. Not that if you'll have bitachin, you will have nefesh. It is nefesh. It's a feeling Okay, so <coughs> intro number four. Now we're getting closer already to where we're at. Intro number four is that part of the talking isn't only that I'm, I am in God's hands and everything that will happen is for sure going to be for the good. And no, talking also means that the plan that God has for me is for my good. What plan does God have for me? The mitzvahs. So he argues. That if a person is not observant to the best of their ability, it means they don't have betachem. Because if I am 
giving my life over to God, it has to be not only passively or emotionally, it also has to mean, as far as what's my responsibility, well, who's going to write out the calendar of my day, right? Who makes the calendar? Who writes what am I going to do? God, God told me what I should do today. If I'm not going to do it, that means I'm not giving myself over fully to God. That means I don't have full betachem. So this correlation, which was brilliant, between the choices that I make, even though we said that God will love me regardless, we explained why that doesn't contradict it. Me having bitachin also means that I'm fully in. Fully in meaning I'm going to be observant. Even though I'm aware that my animal soul right now wants to do other, something else, fine. That means I have my agenda and God has God's agenda. Okay, now which one will I choose? Bitachin by default will mean the more bitachin I have, the more I'm going to do what God wants. Won't be easy. I might not enjoy it, but I'll, I'll actually do what God wants because of my bitachin. Not to get rewarded. Not to be worthy. No. But that is another way that I express my bitachin. Like you're asking, what's bitachin? One answer is not having anxiety. Introduction number four is what bitachin is: doing what God wants because God wants it, not for other reasons, not because I think I'll get rewarded. That shaloy l'shma. Not to look good for the community. No, we speak of doing what God wants because that's another way of saying bitachin. And now we're up to intro number five. So intro number five, like we said, almost goes against everything until now. Everything until now is all based on the world being God's world. God's world. God is the shaker and the doer. God is the only one, which is true. Emes, Hashem Echot. Then he writes like this. Intro number five, which is the paradox of bitachin, and it's good to be aware of the paradox. That which appears to be the opposite of the tochen is the is the understanding of the importance of me doing my part in this world. What do I mean by me doing my part? I'm going to use his words, the words, that look at the world and everything that God made, even the things that God does for you, some um, effort is needed on your part. Rabbeinu Bahaya says, the way he defines our lives. God makes every person with needs. One of the examples is food. But every time you read about the food, it's not just about food. We need to eat. Okay. And you know what? Even in the desert, when God gave us the manna, we still needed to put it in our mouths and chew. Which means that God made the world in a way that for me to meet the needs that God put in me. I have these needs. Not because I chose to have these needs. God created me with these needs. There is a certain amount of effort that I must make in order for those needs to be met. God will set the conditions. God can make it harder. God can make it easier. But I have to do effort to, to be an active partner in the many steps, taking that which is in its raw state and making it into its shlemus state in the context of meeting my need of eating, of getting the food ready to be eaten and then to eat it. Sometimes, like he gives an example, the water is there. All human effort is just to turn the wheel. Today would be to open up the faucet. Sometimes you have grain. Oh, grain is not just a, a pick opening. You have to take the grain and you have to go through the, ten, the 11 steps that the Mishnah counts on Shabbos to get it from grain into a, a loaf of bread. But it's the same idea. It's one step or, or 11 steps. But, and those steps have to be made by mankind. And if we don't do it, we're not going to eat it. Not because God did not provide. God provided, but God purposefully creates the world in a way that we have to do our part. Some people like to use 
use the word hishtadlus. We already explained many weeks ago, we in Chabad use a different choice of word, and that is we have to make a keli. And there's a reason why we use that expression. The word keli constantly reminds us, this is a keli, the cup, that all we are doing is making the keli. Right? Like, so for example, if you have your uh, samavar, and you have six spigots, just an example, and a person says, oh, I want to have more water, so I'm going to put another spigot. Right? God tells me only work six days a week, but I want to work on Shabbat because I want more water. That's a great example that will show you. You can put a seven spigot and you can put a thousand spigots. Ain't no more water in the Samavar. The water is God's water. We have to make the spigot. We make the keli. So, yes, there is something that's upon me, but that is making the keli. Whether the keli is going to be filled or not, that's completely in God's hands. Why did God make the world in a way, he asks, where everyone has to make an effort? Why God is almighty? Why couldn't have God made a world where we have our needs met without any effort? And he gave two reasons. And that, that's, now we're just recapping last week. I know it's a long recap, but it's good to remember the Seder. And it's a secret. It's a soit. It's a big secret. He says there are two reasons. You can only write this with Ruach HaKadosh. These are the only two reasons why God made the world in that way. Number one is in order to test us. I'm repeating what he says. In other words, there, I have needs, and I need those needs. That's why they're called needs. Some of them are wants that I think are needs. That's achen vei. But some of them are needs. A person has to eat. You're not going to eat. You're going to die. God, since I have to be active in fulfilling those needs by divine design, sometimes the keli of getting my needs met, and in most cases, the easier keli will be somehow in violation of the mitzvahs. And the other way of getting my needs met will be doing everything that God wants, but it's going to appear, and in many times be a much more difficult road. And for some reason, part of our purpose being here is for us to be tested in a positive way. God knows the result. God knows exactly what I will do prior to the test, but a test means I don't know my own power. Or I never exercise my own power. Take a person who potentially can run the marathon. But if they don't do the training, then they can't do it. And when they do the training and they run the marathon, they develop something that they always had in potential, but they never had in the actual. And that's a one way of wording our whole mission over here. Everything that we are doing here, we're not creating something out of nothing. God gave me all of the koiches that I have. And as he did to every human being. But they are underdeveloped. They're not developed because they were never tested. A test means there's pushback. It's like a lifting weights. The more the weight in one direction, the more muscle you need to develop to push it in the opposite direction. So life is filled with tests. And that's the system that God made. It's a simple system. You have needs, but I'm not giving you your needs. I'm giving you the means that you have to do to get your needs met. And now you will see, and every person knows that to be their truth. Not always, but sometimes in life, I can get my, those needs met, but I have to break God's rule. So that's my test. My test is, do I have betachem? If I really believe the emes, which is, this is God's world, mamish, choice, freedom is just for me to make choices. But the results, everything is God's. If it's God's world, then I'm going to, like we said, step number four, intro number four, betachem also means I'm going to do what God wants. But if by doing what God wants, oh my God, I'll never get the need met, or it's going to be that difficult. Speaking about, now obviously, halachically, if a person is starving and the only food is treif, then God says, eat the treif. We're speaking about, there's, we all have that. 
And it's not so black and white always. God doesn't test people like us to go murder someone. We don't have such a Yetzir Hara. God is Gavaldic. God is, is your personal God. God knows exactly where I am at. Bidiyuk. And he knows that in within the framework of halacha, there's a little bit better and a little bit uh, lazy. And those will be my tests. Always, every day, a million tests. And most of them are very little. It's very rare that someone should have this test. And we daven, God, please don't test me. Now, those are the tests that King David was tested with. David HaMelech tells God, Elakei Avraham, Elakei Yitzchak, Elakei Yaakov, why not Elakei David? And there was no greater human being than David HaMelech. You know, we say that Adam is an abbreviation for the three greatest people that ever lived. Aleph is Adam, Dalit is David, and Mem is Mashiach. So just putting David, giving him the right respect. So David really was the greatest person until Mashiach. So he tells God, why don't we say, Elokei David? So God tells David, because I never tested you. I tested them and they overcame the test. So David says, test me. And God tested him and he failed. And then he told us, don't ask for God to test you. I'm not talking about those tests. I'm talking about the little tests. Are you going to say the words of the bracha clearer or are you going to mumble them a little bit more? Stuff like that. But you make a lot of choices the whole time. I got a drink. I'm very thirsty. That's what I mean by a test. That's normal test. These tests God will give us. We're not praying for God to free us from that because that's life. And if I wouldn't have to drink, I would never have such a test. Etc. Etc. Okay, that's reason number one. Reason number two, he said beautifully. He says that if God would create us in a way where we would have either no needs or the needs will be met automatically, then we would have a lot of free time on our hands. You would have too much free time and we would end up getting into trouble. That's what he says. Or in the, the way we worded it, the way that other words it, you can say it's a spin. Okay, again, let's say that this is a, the other side is that only when a person is actively doing something, making things happen, are they more godlike? God is the creator. We cannot be creators like God, but you know, when you're, you feel, you feel, aha, I accomplished. And we all need to have, you have that feeling because we are a soul and therefore we are like Hashem and therefore God is a creator. We're only realizing our divine soul when we are creating. So God made a world in a way that we have to be creating. If not, you're not going to get your needs met. So we said, therefore, tzaddikim, they can create in the world of Taita. You can create in the world of Chesed. As long as you're doing something with your life. These were the two reasons. Tests. And if we would have too much free time, we would end up misbehaving in the negative. And he came to a big conclusion. And he made a big statement. He made a statement of truth. Which doesn't align with our reality yet. His statement is, and therefore, now that you know the secret, these are the only two reasons why you have to work to get your needs met. Once a person reaches a place where they will not fail a test, once a person has proven that they overcome their tests, the normal tests, no one should be really tested. Once a person has proven that the more freedom of time, the more time that God gives me, I'm using that time to do good, or at least not to sin. Some of the time is me time, which is fine to a limit. Some of the time is I'm going to learn more Torah, I'll do more chesed. He says God will take away a lot of burdens of life from that person. God will do will will do those steps for them. Sounds beautiful. So we get better, we get more connected. It's like a good cycle. We get more bitachim, we become more observant. God gives us a test. It's not even a test. It's God's world. I'm, I'm going to do what God wants, and I'm going to like doing what God wants. Okay. 
then I'll have more freedom in the context of that the needs that God put on the world, I, I, I'll have them met for me almost without effort. And then I'll have more free time. And then I'm going to start using that free time to do more good things. So God is going to give me more free time. That is where we're up to. All of that sounds beautiful. The challenge is, is that that's not yet the current reality. Because if this would have been the current fact, then Sadiqim would have an easy life. And in the reverse, the wicked, who with their freedom of time and resources, end up using them against what God would have wanted them to use them for, then God should have taken away from them all that freedom and resources. They should be occupied and busy making a, a living. And God will keep them out of trouble. And that's not the reality. I want to borrow you words that uh, Rabbi Manus Friedman uses, which are brilliant. Just the way he words it, is that you have truth and you have facts. I know it's semantic, but I like using these words. The truth is what we just said, what he said until now. The truth is, is that when a yid, this can even be to a non-yid, when a person is doing what God wants from him and from her, and when they have more freedom, they're using that for the benefit of God. And even what they're doing for themselves is not sinful, then God will give them more freedom and God is going to alleviate more of their uh, needs. It's going to be easier for them to meet those needs. That's the MS. That's true. That's the way it is. Fact is, it's factual, not it's factually not yet true. Right? A, a, a mother loves her child. That's MS. That's true. The fact is, some mothers throw their babies in a, in a bin when they're born. That's a fact. Jews eat kosher. Jews don't eat chazer. That's MS. The fact is, some Jews are still not eating kosher. In other words, there, there is a disalignment between true or the way things ought to be, which is the way things will be, and the way things are right now. And that disalignment is a, is calls out, evokes within us why. Why is it that way? And that's exactly where we're up to. We are on page 91. And the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. And that's the biggest challenge and the biggest question. And I think there's a very important uh, framing that the Rebbe introduced. introduced. I don't think any Jewish giant uh, framed it the way I'll share at the end. This is the Torah of the Rebbe, which is extremely enlightening. But let's begin in the beginning, and then we'll build up to that. Okay, so this is the the million-dollar question. The im yoimar ha'oimer says Rabbeinu Bachaya. A person can come and tell us everything you said sounds beautiful. It's just not a fact. Hine anachnu royim. We see mixas tzadikim. Some tzadikim, some tzadikim have it good, and some wicked people have it bad. But so what? But it doesn't always appear to be following the rules that he laid out. We'll see that lo yizdam lehem tarbo. That tzadikim, some tzadikim, mamish don't have a food. They suffer. And even after they make all the effort, make a lot of effort, you work, you work, you work, and you get nowhere. And, he, and even worse, many people that are filled with sins, they have a life of tranquility, 
They have a life of good. They have a life of there. It's pleasant. And it's terrible because Dafka, because they have time, which is gold, which is life, and other resources, they further their wicked lifestyle, which brings a khurban to the world. That's a fact. So you learn the emis, and then you look at the fact, and they don't they don't come together. Now, before before we go on over here, I just want people to know that when people ask what's your image of the messianic era, I think one way of framing the answer is the time where the fact will be aligned with the truth. Even prior to Mashiach, even pre-Mashiach, whenever the fact bows to the truth, we celebrate. And many miracles were exactly that. Like Lamashal. I'm just I'm quoting Rabbi Friedman's words. Gavaldi, he says, what happened? We were going, we left Egypt. We're going to Har Sinai. God told us we need to meet him in Mount Sinai. That's the Emes. There happened to be a, a water in between, the Yamsuf. The water was not allowing us to get there. That was the fact. What something has to give. What gave? The waters opened up and we went to where we needed to go. The fact acquiesced to the truth. Miracle. But it has to be the way because the water doesn't need to be there. The truth is what needs to be. The truth is, is what God wants. And part of the, 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 the march towards the messianic era is, first of all, the awareness of how much of the fact is not aligned with the truth. And then our effort in getting it there. But part of our effort is to be in pain. It's not aligned. It's not working out. The Yavad Sadik, he's doing. He's not failing his tests. He's not wasting his time. So God Almighty, give the give the tzaddik more freedom, or the opposite, which is probably even worse. How can the Russia? How can the Russia prosper? Oh. So he writes like this. He writes such beautiful words, and I Dafka, I want to I want to go through the the whole third. The end of the third chapter. So I'm going to just read the, the synopsis that he makes, which are great. There's uh, two pages. I'm just going to read 95 in the bottom and 90, uh, 97 in the bottom. And let me just give one one vart, which is so important to Chap. There isn't one answer for this question. There isn't one answer for this question. If there would have been one answer for the question, you would have heard it. You'll never hear an answer because there isn't one answer. There are many possible answers. And he goes through all the possible answers, and I don't even think that his list is exclusive. He's saying, we don't know. It could be. Let me give you many could be's. In page 95 in the bottom, in his synopsis, for a previous sin. When we say a previous sin, it can be from another life. We don't know what the person did in the past. Could be right, right now. Not that God is angry at them, or God is, God forbid, taking revenge on them. But, you know, sometimes a person has to cleanse oneself from that stain and some of the cleansing steps at times has to be something that we experience as painful. Number two, to earn a bigger portion in the world to come, which means it's a test. How does the tzaddik react? Does he tell God, well, obviously, I can't have bitachin on you. I'm sorry, can we go back? Sure, we can go back. I missed That's okay. The first one is, Sometimes, sometimes, we don't know, that Sadiq is undergoing currently, factually, a life of suffering. 
because of some misbehavior that this individual, he or she did previously, can even mean in a previous life. Could be. Number two, to earn a bigger portion in the world to come, which means that this itself is a test. This is the test. We're saying that God tests people. It's a big test. It's a big test. Eve, was tested. And, and ultimately, I mean, no one is judging him. He couldn't take it. Avram Avinu was tested, and he's like un, un, unparalleled. Unparalleled the test that God gave to him, and he overcame the tests. Number three, to teach others to be an example for others. That in spite of the fact that the fact doesn't align with the truth, that means you have a question. Not all questions have answers, but if you don't have an answer, giving the wrong answer is a lot worse than saying the Emes, I don't know the answer. So you end up serving as a role model that in spite of the fact that this does not make sense, I still have betochen, and I'm still believing that only God is the master of the world and everything is for the good, even though it makes absolutely no sense, not in my mind and not in my heart. But I'm still faithful to God. As, as Yossel, I think his name was Rakavir, very emotionally, one of the leaders of the, of the Varsha uh, uprising. Imagine what they went through and the courage that they had to fight against the Nazis, against all odds. And at the end, they were, they were gassed. I mean, they, they, they lit everything afire, so they choked on the smoke. So he wrote a note, and he wrote at the note at the end, what a, what a yid, that's a Jew. He wrote to God what everything God did to him from his perspective was wrong. How this one got killed and that one got killed. And he says, and at the end, he tells God, everything that you could have done to make me denying you, you did. But he wrote, but you lose. <laughs> this just published, be- published something. Yeah, because he says, my final statement is, is that I believe that Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem like, wow. Like, unbelievable. So, he's teaching other people. Number four, to display true righteousness. Just for himself. What does righteousness mean? It's not a theory. You actually display it when there's all reasons not to. And number five, did not affect his surroundings appropriately. It's a punishment because even though you're Takat Sadik, you should have, you could have influenced others more, which is a common failing of greater people. Greater people have a much harder time relating to their surroundings because the surroundings are never that great. Especially the Rebbe, once of us, the way Hasidim were, 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 were advised not to live amongst the righteous. Who needs you amongst the righteous? There's already righteous. You go live amongst what you think is not the righteous. First of all, there's a lot of righteousness learned from the others. But you be the good role model. Or like the Rebbe used to say, if all the Eden that believe in the Emes would go to the, to the Holy Land, and it's a mitzvah, then what will happen? Then we're basically saying that all of the people that are not yet on the path are going to get assimilated. They're not allowed to do that. We can't abandon the ship. We have to live amongst others in order to influence them. And if we're not doing a good enough job, we can be judged for that. It's not an exclusive list. But that's one. Then on page 97, let's go to the opposite. How can wicked prosper? How can that be? He gives various potential answers. Number one, for a previous good deed. Even though they're wicked, 
they, they did good things. You know, there's a, there's a story we were told in yeshiva. Everyone have a yeshiva bar that a guy came to the rabbi and he tells the rabbi, I don't believe in anything. Why don't you believe in anything? Because what the trader says is not true. How is it not true? He says, because I have a good life and I'm not observant. Where does it say in the trader that if, that, if, that, if, that if you're not observant, you're not going to have a good life? He says, it says in the Shema. It says in the Shema, if you're not going to listen to my commandments, this and that, terrible things will happen to you. He says, how do you know what it says in the Shema? He says, because when I was a kid, I learned the Shema. Oh, if you were a kid, you said the Shema, that's why you're having a good life. God is rewarding you. In other words, you're a, a, a wicked guy did epis good. So God is rewarding them. That means that all of the good that you did, you'll be rewarded. Number two, as a deposit for a righteous inheritor. How great is that? Some wicked people, God wants for them to amass a lot of, let's use wealth as an example, because now that they put it all together, now God can easily get it from this guy to the tzaddik, right? Whoever remembers the Talmudic story of Yosef Meicher Shabbos. Right, so the wicked person became wealthy, and ultimately all the wealth he bought, he put, he put a precious stone, and then that yid that went on a serious nefesh to buy the most expensive foods for Shabbos got that stone. Number three, as a cause of the greater, as a cause for the greater punishment of death. I don't know what he means by this. This might be a, a misprint, so I'll I'll come back to this next week. I don't know what he means. Number four, God has patience. You're witnessing God's patience. Now, why don't you have patience with me, God? First of all, God does. You just don't acknowledge it. Could be the wicked will, will God is going to take away their resources, but God is patient. Number five, maybe this person's grandfather did a, something great. Maybe it's a reward for something that the, the, this person's grandmother did. I, we don't know. Number six, again, it's challenging us. It's posing when God allows us to see how the fact is not aligned with the truth, then our truth is being challenged. Will we still believe or not? And other reasons. Now let me add what the Rebbe says to all of the above. And I think that this addition, for me, is extremely enlightening. Yes, there are many reasons for this and many reasons for that. But let me frame this. And we all have to do that. What happens when a person actually knows the reason why someone is suffering? That's impossible, isn't it? Let's say that there's a tzaddik that is really a tzaddik who's really suffering, and let's say somehow you know not the potential, maybe this, you know why they're suffering. What then? Well, there are two options. Either, okay, now it makes sense. Let them suffer. Or, even when you know why, you are still bothered by the reality that they're suffering. What Avram Avinu demonstrated to us, his grandchildren, and to the Midah that we should aspire to have, which is very important, is not to allow a reason for suffering to make you feel good with the suffering. When it's someone else's suffering. That's a story in the Chumash. God tells Avram Avinu, I am about to give Azazets to the Sodomites. I'm going to overturn their cities. They're going to go through suffering and death because they're very, very wicked. Many people could react by saying, oh, yeah, they're very wicked. It makes a lot of sense. I'm behind you. 
You got my vote. God told him a reason. He didn't challenge the reason. He protested. He was finding, he was grappling. Yeah, you can't do that. He was bothered even though he knew a reason. When Eli Wiesel, who after a lot of inner work, right, after the hell that he went through, who was asked many times, how did God allow the Holocaust to happen? So normally he answered, we don't know. There was a certain time that he was giving a talk and someone shouted out, how can God make the Holocaust? So he said, well, I know the reason, but I can't tell it to you. And the person flipped out. The person says, you know the reason? And you're not telling it to me? They got all excited. So he asked them, and if I were to tell you the reason, you would feel okay? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I would understand why, I would be okay. Then you'll, then you'll be a Nazi. Even if you know the reason. Because they also felt they had a reason. In other words, this is very important. The, the, the goal, when people learn this, aside of the fact that he's writing clearly, we don't know the exact reason. There are many reasons. He's, he writes that clearly. If there will be one reason, we will be told a reason. We're not trying to make God justified. The goal of knowing that there's reasons for everything is not for a person, chas v'shalem, when you see another person suffering, to say oh, there must be a reason. Because there is a reason. Because there is a reason. The world is not hefkir. God is the balabayit. Nothing is going out of whack. It's exactly according to God's plan. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't daven. We're davening not because we don't know the reason. Even if we were to know the reason, we still should daven. Because we have to be sensitive to be in pain when another year is suffering. Or to word it differently, this kasha, why do the wicked prosper? Why do the just suffer? Is a religious question. It's a question that we are obligated to ask. And when we're asking the question, it's not like some questions that you're asking the question because you want to know the answer. I don't know. I don't want to know the answer. I really don't know. I don't care for the answer because even if the answer will make sense, I'm educated that as a Jew, I should still ask the question, but why God is that person suffering? It's like, a, we have to be like children. When a child wants to stay up and the mother tells him, no, now it's bedtime, the child doesn't understand, but I want, I want a cookie. But I want a cookie. And you can go and, and you can explain, the child should not stop. That's the, that's the, the job, but I want. A yid was created by God to be Rachmanim, Rachmanim, compassionate. It's very easy to be compassionate when you see injustice. We have to have Rachmanim even when what we're seeing is just. Because you know something? Everything we're seeing is just. We don't understand it. But even if we were to understand it, it's God's doing. We still have to have Rachmanim. That's a very important message. We should, we're not becoming philosophers by learning, ah, I know that now I know that now I'm enlightened. That's not the point. The point he wants to make is, going back, there is the truth and there is the fact. In the world of truth, in the world of Mashiach, if when the world will be the way it's meant to be, and the world will have to get there, there's no way out, then when a Yid is going to be someone who's going to prove himself or herself by overcoming their Nisyonis, and and a Yid is going to constantly make use of God's resources for the good, which is what our generation is doing. No doubt that our grandparents had a lot more work, we have a lot more freedom of time, and we all have opportunities to really get into trouble and generally to speak positive words. We're a generation of tzaddik, the Rebbe said. 
And we should become better, and we have to become better. And the better we'll become, the more freedom God is going to give us, and the more wealth, and the more health. That's the truth. Then he, he wants for us to acknowledge that de facto, the world is not yet there. And when the world is not yet there, we have to be in pain. We have to cry out to God, why? Not why, ah, there's no reason. I know you have a reason. It could be A, it could be C, it could be D. I don't, it's not the point. My, my obligation as a Yid is to feel the pain of suffering. To feel the pain, even though it's from God and it's for the greater good or the good. No, no, it, it, it's suffering. Why, God, are you doing it? The wicked is prospering. My avoida is the, is the why, why, why did God allow for Hitler to be? How did he have, well, why? To cry out. I'm not looking for an answer. And if I hear an answer, it should never make me calm. I think the greater the tzaddik, the more they can have an insight. And it didn't stop them from crying out equal to everyone else and even greater. And that's a very important framing to this topic which is an open-ended topic. We're not looking for an answer, but the, the Rebbe's wordings are beautiful that even in the future, when a Yid hears the answer, if at that time the fact is not aligned with the truth, we must equally cry out to God. And the conclusion of the third, of the third chapter, coming back to the beginning, that God made the world in a way that we all have needs. We all have needs. And some of our needs, some of our needs, can only be met when we do our part. Now I have to pick what part will that be. The example that he's using is what path of livelihood should I pursue? Now obviously some people have no options. But if you were to be able to choose, you have two job offers. Which one should you pick? Really, it's all God's. The light is from God. The water is from God. The blessing is from God. I'm only making the keili, so I can argue. So... It should make no difference. He says, no, 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 no. So he concludes Pedic Shlishi by making two beautiful points. He says, people have to have more self-awareness and knowledge. Look, number one, at your capacities and that which you enjoy doing. He writes that clearly. So he gives a mushal. If someone was 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 created by God not to be the biggest Shimshon giver, they're not that strong. And there are two jobs, right? One is to be a construction worker and one is to be a guy knocking on the keyboard. Pick the keyboard. You were, you were built for that. And he uses examples, look in nature. And he gives a mashallah how you see that the lion whose job is to devour the other animals, look at the teeth that God gave the lion because he needs those teeth. You don't have those teeth, you don't need, you don't need to do that. Also be aware of that which you like. If your disposition, which was given to you by God, is that you enjoy A more than B, when you have such an option, not everyone has this option, then pursue that, that you know you enjoy doing more. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as I know that at the end of the day, all I am doing is making a keili. So if my preference did not realize itself, has nothing to do with the results. The results will be given to me regardless, as long as I'm working. As long as I undertake my achrayas, there is something for me to do. And even like we said, in the future, tzaddikim, they'll have to chew their food. God made us that way. Some effort will always be made. It's a matter of how much effort, how much not effort. If you get to pick and choose, I love that. Look at what you like, look at your capacity. If God made you strong, then become a porter. By the way, some people have to have to do physical exercise. I know by my chavedim, if they're not gonna do exercise, they'll, they'll become aggressive people. They, they were built to be the schleppers, not in a bad, in a good way, to do manual labor. Manual labor is very healthy for people that were built for it. God forbid if a person was not built with that koyach, manual labor will break them, they'll die young. 
So look at how God made you, and always remember that it's all a keli. And Bechlal, he always advocates to do that which takes up the least amount of time. Great advice. Halavai, I mean, everyone has that theory, but he knocks it in because God is going to bless you. Go ahead. Yeah. So every time I think about it, I said, that indicates that I have more than Hashem. No. And he is more than no, 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 when you give your child a vaccine for those people, I'm not advocating vaccines, it's a controversy we're learning about Bain but let's say that it's a mitzvah to give your kid a vaccine or a shot. And, well, and, it is for polio, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, fine, fine. I, I give my kids vaccines. I don't want to get there, you see? But I'm just saying today, I don't want to people get sidetracked. And you're holding your kid, and they are of the age that they know that a shot, that, they, that kid, they're sitting. I have Rahmanas. It's not a contradiction. I know I'm doing my kid the biggest mitzvah. I'm saving my kid from getting paralyzed from polio. It has to be done. I don't have a better way of doing it without injecting something. And the emes, the emes, the emes is, it's not that painful. But together with the psychological, with this. Okay, so it's not a contradiction. You know this is for the good. And you have Rahmanas. That's the point. That's the point that everyone wants to make. Just because you know the reason why someone suffers should not take away one ounce of our pain that someone else is suffering. And I think that's also why God doesn't want us to know the reason. Because we could become cruel people. If I will understand Bidiyuk, what God understands, that I know why that person is undergoing that because of X, Y, and Z, I'll lose, I'll lose my humanity. God does not want me to lose my humanity, so God keeps it a secret. No one knows why they're suffering, so people are bothered. So we concluded the third chapter, and God willing, next week we'll begin with the fourth chapter of Shara Bitochen. That was great. Thank you.